So, we are entering into the third week and final week, Lord willing, and I, and I almost know this to be a fact because he, he showed me something today. But um, we're going to finish up um, the three-week series about our God of abundance and uh, uh, the balanced biblical uh, meaning of uh, prosperity and all of these things that uh, have been such a point of contention and confusion in the body of Christ so that you are all prepared and have a great understanding and revelation of the truth of God's word about money, his plan for prospering you and um, the fact of what what that really looks like, what it means, and that he is a God of abundance. And the fact is, we said that describing him in any other way is selling him short. God is not El Chipo, he is El Shaddai. Amen? Amen. He is Jehovah Jireh, he is the God who provides, and he owns it all. Amen? Amen. And now, we have, uh, we know that there have been... Uh, cases in the body of Christ where this has been uh, overdone and uh, done for selfish reasons and motives. And we've also decided that it's not for us to judge another man's servant or God's servant. So we'll just let him figure all that out. We know that uh, based on what we have learned, what it's all about. And uh, this is going to Put the icing on the cake today, and then we're going to move into walking with Jesus as he prepares for his final appointment on the cross. Amen? Amen. And uh, I'm glad that we started with communion today because that's just a, a little act of faith based on something that Jesus asked us to do. It might seem like foolishness to the world, but it's important to us. Because if Jesus said it, that settles it. Amen. I want to begin sort of where we left off. And if there be anything sort of unfinished, I don't have time to recap today, the last two weeks. But I encourage everybody to listen um, to those messages, which are all available for free, of course. And thank Thank God for all of you who are listening all around the world. I see you. I hear uh, your, you, and I pray for you. And uh, I just thank you for, for your faithfulness as well. But I want to just start by saying that Jesus exhausted God's wrath, God's judgment, and every part, every aspect of the curse... On his body, on the cross of Calvary, on our behalf. And that right there is a... (laughs) That's the gospel, folks. That's the good news. The almost too good to be true news. But I want to talk specifically along the lines of our theme, which is prosperity and finances and the God of abundance... When Jesus hung there, suspended between heaven and earth, temporarily rejected by both, he was naked, he was hungry, he was thirsty, he had a lack of all things. 
This is poverty at its core. And he took that curse for us. It's all summed up, this divine exchange that took place in two scriptures. And I want you to remember them, underline them, circle them, mark them, I don't know, whatever you do. Some people went on their phone or just listen and let them be embedded in your heart. But take it to heart because this sums up this aspect of what we're talking about. How Jesus bore the cross and the ramifications of that. Amen. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 and 9, 8. How easy is that? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 and then chapter 9, verse 8. So if you ever on the spot, that's uh, there's a lot of little ways to remember things like that. And I, I like things like that, so that's why I pointed out. 8, 9 and 9, 8. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, the most important thing that we need to establish is that it's all by grace. There's nothing we can do to earn it. Amen. And when, although we're talking about different ways to cooperate with God's spiritual laws that He has in place to be a blessing to us, it's not something we're doing to twist God's arm or to tell Him, okay, now you owe me because I did this. No, it's just something we're doing to meet His conditions to cooperate with the spiritual laws He's already put into place. There's a very big difference in that way of thinking. We need to understand that it's all by grace. So, it says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all grace and it's all through Jesus on the cross. Amen. Amen. That though He was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now look at the other verse, 9 8. 2 Corinthians 9 8 should be on the same page. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now that is one of the most positive statements in the Bible. In that last verse, 2 Corinthians 9.8, in the original Greek, it has the word all five times and abound twice. That is seven times that it says it in the one, one scripture. It's so important, though, that we get that difference in our mind that it's only by grace and only through the cross of Jesus Christ. So it's not a system. It's not a formula of how to go about twisting God's arm to make him do something for you. But he has put into place lots of spiritual laws and it requires our partnership, our cooperation. Amen. Amen. We have to fulfill the conditions or cooperate with His plan. The first thing that's always required is faith. Hebrews 11.6 teaches us that without faith it is impossible to please God. And then it tells us why. Because anyone who comes to God must... Now this isn't an option then, is it? Must what? First, believe that He exists. 
And second of all, believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This is the basis on which we have to approach God even in our finances. In everything, but even in our finances. Since we're talking about finances, we're talking about provision. Because God needs us to learn these things because He wants us to prosper. Beloved, I, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health even as thy soul prospers. Third John 2, right? And so we see by that scripture that the beginning of a, of a prosperous life starts with a prosperous soul. And that is just our mind, our will, and our emotions. Amen. So we have to renew our minds according to the word of God. We have to put our trust, our faith, our, and believe what God says is real. And that's where this, this scripture is divided into two things that we must believe. We must believe that he exists. Well, most people do. Even unbelievers believe that God exists for the most part. Some lines say they don't. But really, down deep, there is a knowing. Now, you can wax cold to that over time and over years until finally... You have waxed so cold to the, 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 the voice of the Holy Spirit that you just can't hear him anymore. But that's someone that is totally reprobate and apart from God. The second part is where we have the more trouble. We have to, must, you must believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This is where most of us get off the ship. We can say a lot of nice things we can say we believe but in many cases we're just really hoping and a wishing that he would but we don't really know you know that leper he he said lord i know if you're willing you can make me clean and jesus said i'm willing and he reached out and grabbed hold of that leopard which he shouldn't wasn't even supposed to touch him and he was cleansed well that leper didn't know if Jesus would do it or not, if he was willing or not, we do. He did it for him, he'll do it for us. You see, God's no respecter of persons. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he did it for one, he'll do it for you. So that settles it. You find that in the Bible, you see where he did it for him, you say, okay, well, the same goes for me. Amen. That's a great thing. Romans 1.17 says for in it the gospel he's talking about the fact that he's not ashamed of the gospel that it contains the power of God to bring salvation and then he goes on to say for in it the gospel he's referring to the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith so, this is one of the main requirements of participating in everything that God has put in place for your benefit and welfare and well-being. Faith. The just shall live by faith. The only basis of righteous living is a life lived by faith. Amen. That means everything in life. We're talking about finances, but it also applies to your marriages or your relationships, your emotions, your health, your job, everything. 
should be done by faith. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 14, verse 23, explains to us that anything and everything that is not done in faith is sin. So it's really an either or. There's no gray area. This should make an impact in the lives of... You know, in other words, it should make you at this point, because I've hit three or four scriptures, declare that faith is a must, and it's the only way acceptable means to approach God, and that if it's not a faith, it's sin, and all those things together should make you go, well, maybe I need to examine my faith myself to see whether I be in the faith. That's what a scripture that actually says that. I can't remember the scripture right now. But he says examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Because without it, you're going to miss out. We just had a life briefly explained to us. And it sounded like the life that I've just shared with you on many occasions about my own brother who died when he was just a year younger than me. And he received the Lord Jesus. I believe and I, I know that he is in heaven. That I will see him one day. But he missed out on all of the benefits of God's inheritance for him in this life. Because he never was discipled in the word. And he never grew into a life of faith. Other than the faith to believe on Jesus as his Lord and Savior, which, hey, that's wonderful. Eternity is a lot longer than this life here. But God wants you to prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. He wants you to be a totally prosperous person in this life. Not only because he loves you so much, but because he loves everyone else that you will affect with that same help that you've received from him. Amen. Amen. Luke 6.38. Okay. All right. Luke 6.38 says, Give. I want, I want you to see the part we play. I'm always pointing at the relationship with God. And as you begin to grow in the promises and provision of God as you seek Him and you... And you search out the scriptures and the promises concerning you and the circumstances and situations that you encounter. You're going to begin to see more and more. Wow, I never did realize that so much until Will start pointing this out to me. But he's right. (laughs) There's always a correlation. There's always a relationship. There's always an action and a counteraction or a correlating action or response. The grace of God, our faith, is really just a positive response to the grace of God that Jesus provided through the atonement. In simple terms. But it's required of us if we want to benefit from all the blessings and provisions that he's put in place. Luke 6.38 says give. And it will be given. Doesn't it? Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over. Will men pour into your bosom. Remember I tell you when God wants to bless you. He sends a person. But you see that correlating action. You give. 
And then it will be given to you. But there has to be that that first act of faith. That's the giving. Second Corinthians nine verses six through seven talks about the law of sowing and reaping. I'm going to turn because I'm already on that page. Second Corinthians nine. I'll read from verse six through seven. The point is this: Paul's talking about. He's talking to the Corinthian church. He's going to be coming to town, and or he's going to send some people ahead of him. And he's going to start arranging this this uh, collection of this uh, this offering that they plan on making that they had promised to make. And he said, "I don't want to get there and do it on the spot, and make people feel like they're under being compelled to do it. I want it to be a free will offering." So here's how he explains it. The point is this: whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So there we are again. So he's talking about the law of sowing and reaping. And Jesus often used uh, the, the same... To describe spiritual laws, he would talk about these same um, agricultural laws and he would apply them to spiritual operations because it was something that people understood, you know. Even people that aren't farmers, you know, they they get a little pot and they put a sunflower seed in there, you know, or, or something from the time they're in first grade and they see how the seed releases the power and, and it grows, etc., etc. So he would use farming terminology to explain these spiritual truths in many cases and he says that you're going to sow and then you're going to reap you're going to sow you're going to reap the same thing that you sow more than you sow later than you sow so the the thing about that is the fact that it comes later is you have to release that seed from your hand and get nothing immediately in return and that requires an act of faith But because of that, you will reap a harvest. The promise is there. And it's going to be not only the same thing that you sow, but more of it. Amen. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, Malachi chapter 3 is the passage of Scripture, the the last book before the new, for the blank page in your Bible that begins the New Testament in Matthew. But Malachi chapter 3 is that passage of scripture where many preachers have wrongfully beat people over the head with it and taught about it like it was the godfather instead of father god amen (laughs) well it's still just because it's of the abuses don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because there's nothing god has never changed and that's a matter of fact in malachi 3 i think he doesn't he start the chapter with the fact that i never changed I'm going to look and see because that piqued my interest quickly. Uh, Malachi chapter 3. Ah, sure enough. Well, not beginning of the chapter, but in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Boy, I tell you what, you could take that scripture right there and you could take it around to all these people that say, 
this is just an old book. It's uh, God has evolved and and uh, and you know. Anyway, he's never changed, folks. He's changed the way that he's dealt with people because of his covenant, because of his agreements with people. He had he had one one thing going with Adam and Eve, and then he had another thing going with Noah and them, and then he had another one going. But the law that we talk about all the time was only in place for fifteen hundred years, and that came after after the the 50 days in the wilderness when there was a total beautiful picture of grace. Anyway, that's another story. But at Mount Sinai, they said, yeah, we'll do everything God says. And when they did that, they vowed to do it and they got themselves into that mess instead of saying, oh Lord, please, we cannot do this. We cannot live as holy as you are without your help. And they should have hit their knees instead of saying, oh, we'll do everything he wants. And so they got themselves into that covenant and for 1,500 years they tried to keep it but nobody ever did. That's why Jesus had to come. So, but in Malachi 3, chapter 10, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, again, he's pointing out this correlation, this, this, this cooperation meeting his conditions. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and then he says, and then and test me by doing that. He says, this is the one place in Scripture where he says, I, I, you can test me on this. Try me and see if I won't open the floodgates and pour out a blessing too, too big for you to handle. That's a great challenge coming from the Lord. Amen. Amen. You can't outgive God. It's just a fact. And the, the, the sooner that people know that, the, the better off they're going to be. <coughs> I... I, I, I didn't want to preach on this for three weeks, but God, God, he wouldn't take it off my mind. And so this is going to be the last week of it, but it's important. It's imperative that you understand this because Jesus said, if you don't understand this, he's talking about the law of sowing and reaping. And he was always using money as an example because it's, he knew that's the one thing that people really would listen about, you know, Hey, we all need it. Right. But he says everything in the kingdom of God works this way. The same principles apply. So if you don't understand this law of sowing and reaping, you won't understand any of my teachings. That's why it's important. People come and they say, listen, man, I want to give, but I'm... And, and you know, I don't, I don't, pour, I don't force it. I, I'm, I'm thankful that for this season in my life, I... God still allowed me to work and he's blessed me that way. And that for that reason, I'm like Paul right now in, in my ministry, sort of like him. He was a tent maker so that he didn't have to take money because he didn't want to hear them accusing and, and all that. He just wanted them to be able to hear the truth of the gospel without being unhindered because he knew how carnal they was. But then he coached everybody else, all the other ministers, make sure that you are the first to partake of the crop. Amen. But... The fact is, I can talk and hopefully you hear me a little better because I don't care if I went to Ethiopia tomorrow in the poorest, most degraded uh, village in that country and the Lord told me to preach on prosperity, I would do it and I would tell them the same principles and same laws because they could bring themselves up out of that mess, first of all, by 
getting rid of a lot of the demonic influences and, and just accept one God, and, and that's Jesus, instead of so many others and allowing all those other influence. But then if they would begin to sow from whatever they have, they would reap a harvest and they would begin to grow out of that. So when people say, I'm too poor to tithe, I say, actually, you're too poor not to tithe. Mm, and if you won't do it when you have little, you won't do it when you have a lot. Believe me, I've had to write five and $6,000 checks in a week to give over to someone that I didn't think really needed it and deserved it. And that's all my carnal mind because God says, well, then don't give it because it's not going to benefit you anyway because you're not giving it to me. Right. And then you, you got strings attached. Yeah. I remember it being in a church when I was being raised up and I'd already seen a bunch of things the Lord had shown me that was that were not exactly in line with his his truth that he had shared with me. But there was also a lot of good things that came out of it. And these people had poured into me. Well, anyway, I uh, there was a woman and her husband who came to that church for a while. And I saw some things. God showed me some things. And, and this there was a there was a there was a, a spirit upon this person. And really what she wanted to do was preach. And she thought she had found a place where she could do that. She had been rejected in other churches where she was, but she just thought that they missed their opportunity. And uh, but anyway, you know, they, so this this minister had her ministering uh, like right away to to uh, the children and stuff like that. And then I was getting reports back that the, she was up there telling these young girls that they were going to hell for having nail polish on and stuff like that. So, you know, I knew right away that there was a problem. But we got a new church and this particular person and uh, our family, they gave like, I don't know, I think they spent like $20,000, bought all new tables and chairs and, 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 and all the things that go into church like that. And then immediately... Began to tell the pastor, okay, this is where your office is going to be, this is where this is going to be, and all that. And he went, wait, no, you don't get to do that. And she blew up. And all I got was a text um, before church that the next morning, I guess it's happened on Saturday, tell, asking for some books back that she had given me. <laughs> Alone, I said, sure, no problem, I brought the books back. And uh, and uh, he was just sitting outside in the car, and just I said, "Here," and she, oh, like just walked off like that. And I I didn't ask for the books that I had given her. <laughs> and then I heard about all this other stuff that had happened. But see, there was a fence there because there was strings attached. And you see, the Bible says if you, you can give all that you have, and if it's not motivated by love, it profits you nothing. So you gotta. That's why I don't 
I don't say you need to tithe, you need to give offerings above and beyond because I want it to come to you by revelation. We are blessed that this is a church of people who are filled with love and generosity and you are wonderful disciples in the word. But I still need to teach these truths because you need to be able to answer questions because this is one of the big things that always comes up in the body of Christ because of the abuses and perceived abuses and some of it, I don't know. You know, like I told you, I, I'm, it's not for me to judge. If a guy has given away uh, 40 airplanes, God's probably going to give him a 747. And that's, you know, I don't know. I just don't know about all that. But um, I just know what I know based on Scripture, and that's what I'm trying to impart to you guys so that you can, you can help others with the same help you've received and the knowledge that you know regarding this thing. So the law of sowing and reaping, God says, is going to be in place until this world is gone. So that's the one thing that you can count on, and that's a promise from God that if you get a revelation from Him, and He says, try me in this. So you can, what I encourage sometimes people when they're just like, man, I, you know, I want to, but I just, eh. Well, God loves to have fun with people that are new at it, especially. And He'll, and He'll, you do something and, and, and let go of that seed and then he'll, he'll get it back to you multiplied and in a way that is fun. It'll make you laugh and it'll make you know that it's him almost every time. He, he spoils baby Christians. And I'm not saying implying that everybody's a baby Christian, but sometimes like I'm a baby Christian in certain areas of my life. You see, other areas I'm, I'm pretty mature. But there, the more you know about God, the more you realize you don't know. <laughs> so that's that's that that's how that works. Um, but, but again, just to finish up on that line of thought, it's just you, I'm, I'm just pointing out it's sort of God's co-op, I call it, because I I, I I deal with the co-ops for the FSA the Farm Services and all that because we we have some property that we we we. Uh, we plant and wheat, and then we have some cattle, and, and they graze all that, and you deal with the FSA, and so it's a co-op, you know. But God is the same way. For the, for the first thing is that you give, and it will be given. You sow, and you will reap. You bring the tithe, and I will open the heavens and pour out a blessing. You see, there's always that, that same thing. You meet God's conditions... You cooperate with the way, His way. He's not going to meet you on your terms. You do it the way He says. And then He's going to always be faithful to honor what He says. Amen? Amen. And this is just another way of Him building that relationship of trust. You can always trust Him, but most of us don't know that. We have a lot of trust in our own strength, our own natural abilities and talents, and we'll cast our cares on the Lord about things, and then we'll pick it right back up. Well, he didn't do it quick enough. He didn't do it in my way. He didn't do it in my time. I'm afraid he's not going to do it at all, so I better just get back to handling this. God expects me. To, he, he don't expect to, me to just let him do everything. You know. Well, that's what Abraham and Sarah said when they were expecting the child of promise, Isaac, and it took too long because they were already about 100 years old. And so Sarah said, well, maybe God needs our help. And so Abraham, go in there and take my servant girl and this and that. And then we got Ishmael. And now we're still fighting Ishmael's today. And then God didn't even recognize Ishmael 
but only the child of promise when Isaac finally did come. Amen? Amen. We don't want to create a bunch of Ishmaels in our lives by trying to help God do things that he's promised he's going to do. We need to wait and let him do it his way and in his time and just keep, don't stop standing in faith. Because when we turn our faith off, that turns the power line off, that turns the receiver off, you see? His transmitter's never broke. It's our receiver that has problems sometimes. We always do the same thing, though. You look for the promise. You find out what the conditions are with the promise. I hear people repeat scripture after scripture, after promise after blessing after blessing after blessing, and they always leave out the conditions he has surrounding it in the scriptures right there. But there's always a part for us to play. And I like that. You, people think, oh, well, that's, that's legalism. Okay, well, then you have been mistaught to think that the sovereignty of God is complete. There's no doubt that God is sovereign. He's the Alpha and Omega. He is omniscient, omnipotent. He is it. But he, we can't do anything without him. He won't do anything without us. There is a part for us to play. And I like knowing that because if it's all just up to God, then where's the hope in that? If I have a part to play, then there's something that I can do to align myself with God to change my situation and circumstances. Because I'm not going to be under the circumstances. I'm going to be above only and not beneath. Amen. Amen. So the power... To meet our need is already in the seed. So whatever you sow into the kingdom of God, it's not it's not leaving your life when it leaves your hand. You're just sowing it into your future. Amen. Amen. Where you will reap a bountiful, bountiful return if you stand in faith. The next thing that I want to talk about, and I'm going to try to rush through this. I'm going to make two more quick points, and then we're done. But there is honor in giving. And I want you to, to see that, because if you give based on God's principles, established by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and not in order to earn anything from God or to get God to do anything, but understanding that it's just something you learn to participate and cooperate with, then it honors both God and man. And the scriptures point this out very clearly. Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 13, verse 7. He says that there are those to whom we owe honor. And... He says, if we, and and we're we're not supposed to owe anyone anything except love, right? He says, if you owe taxes, pay your taxes. If you owe revenue, pay your revenue. If you owe respect, pay the respect. If you owe honor, pay that honor. And then throughout the scriptures, you see, first of all, we should have him first, but it honors the Lord when when we give Based on love, based on revelation of and understanding that we are we are part of the kingdom of God. We are children of God. This earth is here. We're here just for a flicker. 
And when we get to heaven, we're not going to ever, ever stand up there and say, well, I wish I wouldn't have given so much to the kingdom of God time or of my resources or of myself. Uh, I sure could have enjoyed it a lot more. You're not going to say that. You're going to say quite the opposite. In fact, but Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your the first fruits of everything, of all your increase. That's the tithe, the tenth that we talked about last week. And he returns it in abundance. Malachi 3, again, where we were at a moment again, uh, ago, verses 8 and 9, God's talking to the children of Israel, and he says, he says, uh, he says, well, will you rob God? And they say, well, how, how do we, how we rob God? And he said, in your tithes and offerings. And because of that, the whole nation of you is under a curse. So by their obedience or disobedience, they brought blessing or cursing. There was no gray area. And that's, that's what happened with them. And he pointed it out. And, and then he always offers a place of repentance. He said, just, just change your mind about that and agree with me. <laughs> and then I'll be able to bless you. And it's always the same. This next place that honor is due, according to the Bible, is to our parents. Jesus blasted some of these hypocritical religious teachers of the day in which he lived in Matthew um, chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. He tells a little story because they, they come at him and say, why do you... Why do you dishonor? You go against the teachings and the customs of our people. Your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. Some petty stuff like that. And he says, why do you, why do you break the, 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 the laws of God? He says, because you tell these people that it's okay that what they, the money that they have to honor their parents, they tell their parents, well, whatever I had, I could have given you. I had to give to God. and I get, So they claimed to give it to God and they dishonored their parents by not taking care of them when they had it within their, within their resources and, and ability to take care of them. This day in which we live, I think this is one of the places where people really struggle. You know, I mean, a lot of times your parents, they, they just don't need your help. That's fine. But a lot of times they do. And when it's within our ability to provide, we should. And Jesus said, you know, just like he told, uh, just like he told them in other places, he said, don't give me that nonsense, basically. And I'm just paraphrasing. He says, but you should do the one without neglecting the other. Because if you say that you don't have it and God says that you do, then who's going to win that that fight? The next thing it says that we honor those who minister to us out of God's grace. And the fourth one is those who oversee us in the church. Sometimes three and four can combine, but not necessarily so. Acts verse uh, chapter 28, verses 9 and 10, Paul ministered. And when he, remember I was talking about the shipwreck when he was on Malta and he got snake bit and all that. Well, they stayed there for a while and he ministered. And then the last verses of that, that uh, deal there, he's talking about the fact that he went to somebody's house and he healed him. And then they brought all the other sick and he ministered out of him, himself and his overflow. And he brought healing and he ministered the gospel. And he said, and they honored us in 
various ways. So they were very kind to them and they must have probably praised them and given them all sorts of accolades. He says, but then they also put everything that we needed for our journey on the ship. So they honored them out of their provision. You see, they received spiritual gifts and then to return, they honored them with the natural. And that's what it says, Galatians 6, 6. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with their instructor. And I know that sounds very self-serving, but it's not for me to pick and choose what I feel comfortable sharing with you, okay? I'm not asking for anything. <laughs> but that's what the Bible says. Um, again, it's just a picture of God's ways and His will. God's will is in His Word. Amen? So if you say, I don't know what God wants, well, get a better relationship with Jesus and a stronger prayer life. And always have your Bible with you when you go into your prayer closet or your war room or wherever it is that you meet with God. I recommend you don't have to have a specific place all the time. But if you do, you'll start to find a great anointing in that place. And and, uh, and it'll become a very special time and, and place for you and the Lord. And you, he'll start to reveal things for you. So, honor dishonor there's only choice blessing or curse and now i started this off with god made it very clear in the beginning to make sure that we point out that jesus exhausted the curse the poverty curse and every other aspect of the curse we go through the blessings of deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 1 through 14 because those all belong to you and you need to know what they are because you need to know that hey i can i can stake claim to that it, and it's in the King James language or it's in Old Covenant language. So you need to decipher it and look at it through the filter, the lenses of the New Covenant of Grace. But it applies to you, every one of those blessings. And so does the latter half of the, 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 the chapter talks about the curses. Now those, the reason that you want to study those, I didn't go over them, but you need to. Why? Because there's a lot of aspects of the curse that the children of God are enduring when they don't have to. So you need to know what they are so that you, you can get mad at the devil. Whoa, wait a minute. That's part of the curse. That should not... And, and why is that in my life? And then you start fighting against the devil. See, be, Half the time, people don't know what's God and what's the devil. And they've been told in church that half the stuff that the devil is doing that God has put on. And so they're confused and they don't, you know, and, and even then they're, they're confused and in unbelief half the time because, I mean, if you don't believe that healing is for today, then what are you going to the doctor for? If you believe that God put that sickness on you to teach you a lesson, then what are you trying to get healed for? You old rebel. <laughs> Fact is, God didn't put that sickness on you. The devil did. And that's why you need to resist it and fight it and speak health and wholeness. A lot of it comes out of our own mouths, folks. What we allow into our lives. The things that we do and the things that we say. So, in a nutshell, we need to operate in faith. We see by these scriptures it's not an option. I mean, it is an option, but not if you want to walk in the blessing. Not if you want to cooperate with God's spiritual laws to get all the provision to you that you need. Amen. And then some. Remember, He's a God of abundance. And we, we determined in the beginning what, what abundance means. It doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to have uh, 
you know, big treasure chests full of gold and, and own thousands and thousands of acres and ranches and all that. We might, and I hope you do, if you can handle it. If, if it doesn't lead you away from God and He's in it and you're a good steward of it. But you're blessed to be a blessing. He says God has all this ability to do all these things. All five times and abound two times in one scripture. And then He goes on to say, so that you have plenty to take care of every good work. You're blessed to be a blessing. And if you see it that way, And remember, the sprinkler is always going to stay wet. If you get my meaning. So you're going to be blessed because of your blessing. Others. And if you know and you have a revelation that I'm blessed to be a blessing, how could you ever get to a point where you say, Oh God, I don't need anything else. You've done enough. Well, that tells me that you think it's all for you anyway. If you believe that God is using you as the conduit... To be a blessing and to spread and to build the kingdom of God. Then how could you ever tell him to turn it down? All you should be doing is say, God, make me a better steward. Make me strong enough to handle it. Make, give me wisdom that I can use these resources for the things that you would have me to. That's the better prayer. Amen. Amen. And then pour it on, Lord. Yes. And give me good guidance all the way. So we use our resources to honor God and man. We operate in faith. And the last thing is to apply the word of God to your circumstances. We've talked about this in other messages and other ways and times. But this is, this is imperative. Because a lot of time, we as Christians, we like to learn all these things and we believe it. I don't believe that there's anything that I've shared with you today because it's all scripture-based. I'm not taken out of context that you don't believe. I think you all believe everything that I said. And you say, oh, I see. I really believe what God has said. And I see that he has a system and a way of providing for his children. And that I need to cooperate. I need to, I need to operate in faith. And I need to. And by doing that, I honored not only God, but, but man. I believe that. Now, if you really believe it, though, you'll act upon it. Because faith has feet and lips, right? (laughs) All right. One of the best places in Scripture that talked about this is when, when, when Moses passed away. And Moses was a type and shadow of the law, remember? Moses was never going to be able to bring the children of God into the promised land because that's a type and shadow. If, If that were so, then the law could have brought the children of God into the land of promises. But it, we took Jesus, not the law. So Joshua is the same name in Hebrew for Yeshua or Jesus, the Messiah. So it's all type and shadow. But Joshua was, was about to lead about three million Jews into the promised land. And God told him, if you follow my instructions, you will be totally successful. Joshua 1, chapter 8. I keep doing that. Why do I keep doing that? Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. He says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything in it. Then you will be prosperous 
and successful. I like that he says prosperous and successful. It's like he's like wanting to make sure that he understands that it covers everything. But what he does there is he lays out some things that, that some conditions. You'll be prosperous and successful once you meet the conditions. And Joshua only had five, the first five books of this Bible. We have 66. He did really wonderful things with, with just five. Look what we can do with 66. We have a lot more information now, a lot more revelation. We have Jesus himself, who the, the people of the old covenant were only could dream about and, and, and sort of envision as a shadow on a wall, which you, you can tell a little bit about someone from their shadow. But when you really see them face to face, you don't need that shadow anymore. It's like, well, I got the real thing here. And that's how it is with, with believers who have the Spirit of God within them. Amen? Amen? So what did he tell him in that scripture? If again, if we're looking for the things that we are to do, our part to play, to cooperate with God's spiritual laws, because he's made a promise here that he'll be successful and prosperous in every way. First thing he told him was to meditate on this book of the law day and night. This deals with our minds, our meditation. What are we thinking about? Like I say sometimes, when's the last time you stopped and thought about what you're thinking about? Because I guarantee you a lot of times it's fear and worry and concern and doubt and frustrations and all the things that the enemy wants you to be mulling over up here instead of the things that God says will be more beneficial to you. So you need to meditate on the Word of God. You need to get the Scriptures, the promises that pertain to the situations and circumstances. You need to cast your cares on the Lord, for He cares for you. And then really trust Him in those situations and just wait believing. It doesn't mean you just sit down after that and don't do anything. You keep serving the Lord. And as you wait on the Lord, it's think of it as not just waiting like this, but as waiting like a, like a waiter would wait on a table of, of guests. You're, you're still in relationship with the Lord. You're tending to Him and He's tending to you. But all the while, you know that you've given Him this situation, this circumstance, this problem, as you will, and He is going to deal with it because He loves you and you've trusted Him with it. As long as you don't pick it back up, you know, a lot of times it's like, Lord, you fight this battle for me. But you got your hand on your pistol the whole time in case they get through Him, apparently. <laughs> the next thing He told him in there, He says, meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything in it, then you'll be prosperous. But he also says, but it also has to do with our confession, our mouth, right? So we not only meditate on it, but once it's in our heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So our confession is very important. We don't want to speak unbelief. We don't want to continue to speak fear. We don't want to keep talking when there's really nothing that we're saying. Um, uh, trivial things, you know, that just don't matter. Because the Word says, in the abundance of words, there is sin. And I want to tell you right now, because uh, I, I come from a family, and uh, uh, I know a lot of folks that are, and I even do it myself sometimes, but 
that are just chatterboxes, and the more nervous they got, the more they talked. My mama was that way, and I can guarantee you, within a course of 20 or 30 minutes of her rattling on like that, she would have done told some whoppers. If a story wasn't... <laughs> love you, Mama. Forgive me. But I'm using this for ministry to help others now. But <laughs> if a story didn't seem interesting enough for her, she would just add to it. And, <laughs> and boy, sometimes she'd be sitting there telling you about something when you were sitting there when it happened. And you'd be like... <laughs> And the older she got, <laughs> the worse it got. So, but anyway, oh boy, if you get Devonna talking about her, she can just make you laugh all day long because she loved she loved Mama, and Mama loved her, and uh, but she gets she just gets. But what we need to speak, we need to practice more. Godly speech. We need to speak what God says. You know, whenever we do talk about a problem or an illness or anything like that, you don't have to deny all that. This isn't Christian science, which isn't Christian or science. But don't stop short of saying what God says. In other words, yeah, this this sickness is trying to come upon so and so, or upon even me, or whatever. But by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed. I reject it in the name of Jesus. No weapon formed against me will prosper. No plague shall come nigh my dwelling. You have to finish with the truth of what God says because there's power in that word, you see. And that empowers the angels that God has assigned to you to work in your behalf. Instead of giving the demonic powers that are surrounding you more power with your words because you're the one that has the authority. God, You are God's child. And as a son of God, which is all of us, you sons and daughters, you know, you don't have to identify as a son, but just know that he means his children. <laughs> we all have the same power. We have the same power that Jesus had when he was here. And when we believe that, it'll change our speech. You see? Because we'll start speaking pe- Speaking life and power and blessing into those situations and circumstances instead of just rehearsing the devil's victories, you see. Because when we rehearse the devil's attempts and his victories, it's really giving him, emboldening him and giving him power to come in and make strongholds and fortify that position. And he's saying, no, he, he, your kid, he gave me the right. And you really did with your words. And now you can undo all that. Just go to the Lord and say, hey, Lord, I, I've been talking fear. I've been talking doubt. I've been talking unbelief. been grumbling and complaining. And you know what? I, I'm so, I repent. And I want to fix that right now. And you just that's when you believe him for that crop failure. You see, you take all that seed, that negative seed you've sown, and they dig it up before it can take root and bear fruit. And that's a great opportunity that's one of the promises that God has made to us as his children absolutely and so we meditate on the word we speak the word that's our confession and then we do it right so we need to act on it we need to do it once we've said do it then we apply all of the truth the promises whatever we find you can even google it now scriptures about 
healing. Scripture's about that. It's so easy. Man, we have so much at our fingertips now that they didn't have in the old days. They, you know, there are places in China. <laughs> I know that's making people think about the mirror. They're starving kids in China. Make you eat all your food on your plate, right? But there really are places in, in, in China and other countries like that where the Word of God, they are desperate. North Korea, just a couple of pages of the Bible. They found people that had just short passages of scriptures and they were just clinging to those. They knew them by heart. They were... They loved the word, what they had, and they wanted so much more of it. And heck, we, I look around my office and in my house, and I've got every translation of the Bible and at my fingertips on the, on the computer, anything that you could ever want. But it so often just goes unattended to because we oh, I already read that, I already know that. No, you don't. This word is alive and active. And today it'll say something that it didn't say before. Not that the words change, but the intent and the meaning and the help and the provision for you for that particular day and that particular time when God will speak to you and you'll go, whoa, the words have come up off the page to you and you'll say, that's for me, that's a rhema word. That's not just logos, not just written words on the page, but today this is rhema. This is a, when, the, when, the, when sometimes people come to me and they'll have a, a, a big decision to make or a choice or something, and I'll say, you need a word from God. And that means you need to go get alone with God, you need to get in the word of God, and you need to tell him that's what you're there for. I'm waiting for you. I'm not going to do anything without you. I need to know what you want. I choose your way and your will and not my own. This is too big. And you know, he loves that. He loves that because it's honest and it's humble. And it's saying that I know that within me, there's no good thing. I cannot do this on my own. It's not within me to direct my own steps. I'm counting on you and I'm trusting you and he will never let you down. Amen. Amen. So if we meditate on it, confess it and act on the word then God's promises that he will prosper us and that we'll succeed in every good thing. And remember that he loves you as much as he loves anybody. You need to get comfortable looking in that mirror every morning and saying, look who God loves. And then step in front of that mirror and say, wow, it's Randy Lemon. It's Samuel Garcia. It's Don McAtee. Amen. Amen. It's Will Brocker. I do that, and sometimes I go, and he's like, no, try it again. (laughs) But you have to understand that he does love you, warts and all. And don't base it on your history. Base it on Jesus' life. Amen. And the fact that you love Jesus. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, I love it. It talks about the fact that a man who puts this word first and puts God first, that whatever he does will prosper. And and, and then it gives you instruction. It tells us that we need to separate ourselves from all ungodliness and to delight ourselves in God and in his word and meditate on the word. Now, this isn't, if you don't do it, I'm going to get you. We don't need to think of God that way. When we see instructions in the Bible, in the Old Covenant, they could be, it could mean death if they didn't obey God. Now Jesus has dealt with all the aspects. He's dealt with our judgment, our punishment. So now when we see that God is telling us something, don't look at it 
as a burdensome thing. Look at it as an opportunity to cooperate with something that he's trying to get something good to you. Amen? Amen. Because you have a part to play and there's power in that. You can't think wrong and live right though. That's something that you have to know. And the Bible asks us in Romans 12, Paul says, don't be conformed any longer based on the mercies of God. Now that you know what God has done for you, what Jesus did on the cross, the blessing that God has been to you by giving his son as a seed to, to raise up a crop of a harvest of a family. He said, knowing that, I beseech you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you to not be conformed any longer to this world, but be renewed in your mind according to the word of God. Make yourself a living sacrifice. This is the scripture that I tried to end on the last two weeks, and God just didn't allow it. And so that's why I know that this is the end of this, because he said, okay, go ahead. But Mark chapter 11, it's a familiar passage of scripture to you if you've been attending this church for any amount of time. And if you don't recall it, then it tells me that you haven't listened to anything that I've said. <laughs> because I, I quote from it almost every week because it's just a part of me. But in Mark chapter 11, I'll go back to the 12th verse because it's important to get to where we're going. It says, on the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, talking about Jesus. Jesus was hungry. You see, this is, this is in the... The weeks when he was staying up the Mount of Olives and he was walking into Jerusalem. It's not that far. And, uh, and he would teach all day long. And then they'd go back and they'd spend the night up in Bethany uh, where his friend lived. Um, um, and uh, sometimes they would go up in the Mount of Olives. And it, 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 was, it was a wonderful time. We're going to be talking about in the weeks to come because uh, Resurrection Sunday is coming. But this same one day, they were coming um, from Bethany um, to Jerusalem. Jesus was hungry, and he saw in the distance a fig tree in leaf. Now, when a fig tree's leaves come, the fruit is supposed to come simultaneously. It's a, it's a unique um, uh, tree in that regard. That's how God made it. When the, tree, when, the, when, the, when the leaves come, the fruit comes also. Amen? So he says... The, that's why it's important to understand it says a fig tree in leaf. He went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May, not, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him. So he cursed this fig tree because it was a hypocrite, basically. It claimed something by bringing forth those leaves that it didn't do, which was bring forth the fruit as well. Amen? And go down to the 20th verse. As they passed by in the morning, so that was, that was, uh, that was as they were coming from Bethany one day, and then and this here is basically implying that the next morning when they passed by, another passage that one of the Gospels says that he spoke to the fig tree and immediately it died. I want to tell you that this is not contradicting itself. When, when, when God told Adam and Eve, the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. They ate of that tree, didn't they? Mm -hmm. What happened? They were expelled from the garden. Mm -hmm. 
You put cherubs there so they couldn't get in. They went out and they lived hundreds of years. They had children. We didn't know what the story, right? So what happened? Was God, did God misspeak? No. They died spiritually. They died spiritually the day they ate of that fruit, but they lived on physically. And the same thing happened with this tree. When he said it, it died at the root. But, you know, you can, you can chop a, just, you can chop flowers and put them in your house for a few days and they'll still look, still look nice, right? But they're really been, they're dead. <laughs> they're dying. Okay. So anyway, I just don't want that to ever confuse you if you see the other passage of scripture. Because people who, who, uh, want to disprove God will always try to use scriptures like that to show you that it doesn't, Add up. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away at, at its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. You see again the correlation. The, the, our part, God's part. Believe, don't doubt, it will happen. You see, most the world says, well, show me and then I will believe. God says, no, believe when you ask and then you will see it. Verse 24, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer... And again, does this mean that you can say, Lord, I want Trump Tower tomorrow. I want Trump Tower. And, 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 and so you can just believe that that has been granted and that you're going to take possession of Trump Tower pretty soon? No. Because he's assuming some things. He's assuming you're in relationship with him and that you're... And that, that, he says in Amos 3.3, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? In other words, he's encouraging you to come into agreement with, with him. Delight yourself in the Lord and in the word of God. And then everything that you want. Because see, then your desires will line up with God's desires. Okay. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So Jesus is laying out an amazing promise. Because John says further on in the Bible, he says, We know that whenever we pray according to God's will, He hears us. And if we've prayed according to His will, we have the petitions of our heart. We have what we have prayed for. So again, he's just expounding on that a little bit more. But Jesus has made a wonderful promise here. He says, everything to do with you in this life, God is going to make sure that you have it in abundance. He knows everything you need. You don't have to seek after the things that the world seeks after. God knows what you need before you even ask. Does that mean you don't ask? No. It's important that you do ask because that way when it comes, you know who to thank. Amen. And give the glory and the credit to. But he's saying anything you ask for in prayer according to the that's in line with Scripture and you're not asking for somebody else's husband or, or something that's not godly, then you have it and just trust God with it. Now, don't stop believing. You've, you've released your faith now. When you get up from your prayer um, closet, believe that everything that you've laid out, because you should think about what you pray for before you pray it. 
Get your prayers lined out. Don't just sit there and just think of something to say and pray for this and that and the peace of Jerusalem and all this and then think you're done. But you should, as you're walking and talking, you know, there's another, there's a book that a, a, a lady minister wrote one time and, and uh, it's called Get Up and Pray. And what, what she was talking about there is, is don't just limit your prayer life to when you're down on your knees uh, by your bedside or in your prayer room or closet or whatever you do. Uh, but when you get up, continue to pray, continue to meditate on the word of God, to, to communicate with the Lord Jesus, to run everything by him as you go. And uh, that's a very good point. That's, that's uh, you know, when, when you have a prayer life like that, you have a lot less time in your prayer room, really. And I, I've found that over the years, mine, mine has become like that because it's like I don't know of any time in, throughout the day that I'm not communicating with God pretty much you know what I mean so um, I mean of course we're not always all tuned in 24-7 I don't mean to imply that but I, I really there's there are not too many um, five minute segments to go by that I'm not talking to the Lord about something you know and that's that's just a healthy relationship and if you have that you're going to see that a lot of the things that you have worried about and and have spent a lot of time um, on that you didn't need to in ways that you didn't need to. God's going to make all the crooked places straight, you know. And you know, uh, a good example is the night that uh, the children of uh, the the Hebrews in in Egypt, when when they had to put the 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 blood on the door mantles and the. And the death spirit, he came over and, and uh, the blood was there, which is a picture of the, the blood of Jesus on the mantle of our hearts, type and shadow again. And he passed by there, you know. And I heard a minister say one time that I bet you there were people in the, in the Hebrew culture that sat up and worried all night long about that, even though they had the blood. And then I bet there were others that just went to sleep, not worried about it at all, trusting God. Same results. One got a good night's sleep. The other one got ulcers. <laughs> God is faithful, amen, and he loves you. And I want you to practice looking in the mirror and saying, look who God loves and look at yourself and, and, um, and just know that it's true, amen? amen? He loves you. He cares for you. He wants you to prosper and be in good health. He is the God of abundance, and he has great things in store for you if you'll just put all your trust in him, begin to walk, and... Practice living a life of faith, speaking it, and acting on it. In Jesus' name, amen? amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faith, for the grace that you've provided through the atonement. Lord, all this is from you. Even the faith that we need, you've given us. The grace that, uh, that of which we are partaking, you've provided through the atonement. And our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, we win in the end. That's a wonderful thing. We should be able to rest in that. Help us to know your peace and to walk in that peace and to operate out of that peace in every part of our day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.